If you turn in your Bible tonight with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, where our text is going to be chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, but I'd like to begin reading at verse 13 of chapter 2, so we uh, catch a sense of the flow and the context. Um, I think there were outlines handed out tonight that maybe would help you. The title of our message is, The Ageless Beauty of a Godly Wife, The Ageless Beauty of a Godly Wife. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's start in verse 13, and maybe we really should pull it back, um, but just to, rem- just to remind you that Peter's talking here about uh, how to live in this world so that uh, people might see our deeds and glorify our God, that we are to proclaim the excellencies of God who called us. And, and Peter moves, first of all, then in, into, uh, how do, what does that look like? He doesn't go into morality, he goes into humility. A specifically submission to authority. So let's pick it up at verse 13. Be subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep and have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And then our text. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. So far the reading of God's word. Just uh, let's bow a moment and ask his blessing. God in heaven, as we come to your word, a word that is goes against the grain of our culture, against the grain of our, our natural selves, we thank you that you have a good purpose here, and ask, Lord, you would help us to see it and to delight in it uh, the way that you do. Help us to live in the freedom that we have in Christ by submitting ourselves as appropriate and uh, as you command. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Tonight as we uh, look at First uh, Peter chapter 3, uh, there's one, one great goal that I, I have tonight, um, and, and that is that the, the, the message of this text ring like a clarion bell uh, in our homes, in our hearts, our lives, in the church, uh, in, and it, and com- in a way that it combats the great confusion that exists in the world and too often in the church concerning the nature of biblical submission uh, that a wife should have towards her husband. I think tonight most of us assume that we have a pretty good idea of what this is about. I think that may be true to some degree, but I have to say that as I studied this text, I was uh, surprised at the depth of this command, at the beauty of this command, at how precious this thing is in the eyes of God. Uh, It is essential that we get a true picture of the timeless beauty and God-honoring glory and gospel-bearing power of this simple thing of a the willing submission, the God-honoring submission of a Christian wife towards her husband. It is essential, friends, that we get a biblical perspective on this, uh, both because of the overwhelming conviction in the world in which we live that such submission is an awful concept uh, that belongs in the distant Neanderthal past. It is in, in a positive evil as it uh, militates against a women's rights and women's dignity and a woman's freedom. That's the conviction of the world in which we live. And far too often the church shares in that confusion. One of the reasons I think that the world unfortunately responds as negatively as it does to uh, this idea of gospel submission, one of the reasons it responds so negatively is that when it looks at a Christian marriage, too often it sees a domineering, self-serving husband and a despondent and long-suffering wife. That should not be the case. I also recognize as we come to this tonight that we have a sort of a nasty habit of snickering when we approach this topic to to come to it somewhat lightheartedly and and with a grin. Uh, This evening, I hope to convince you that this is nothing uh, to snicker about. There's a holiness, a sacredness uh, to this call. This is about living in such a way that our lives proclaim the excellencies of him who calls us. This is about living in a way that people who don't know Jesus take note that there's something significantly different about your life and ask you for the hope that is in you. This is about living for eternal things and honorable things. And when we snicker, we're just revealing the fact that we don't see these things the way that God sees them. These things are very, very precious in the sight of God. It's not a little thing. One of the questions that gets asked when people look at 1 Peter chapter 3 is, why does Peter spend so much time talking about wives and so little time talking about husbands? Six verses for the wives, one for the husband. And and that's almost a reverse of what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 5, where he spends eight verses on the men and three on the wife. And I think there's just two reasons that we could point to for that. One is that the topic of submission flows exactly out of what Paul has been talking about. If you notice when we read through this, he speaks of the way that we stand in the world for the glory of God, submission being one of the hallmarks of a Christian life. 
And that submission, uh, Paul, uh, Peter, first of all, takes in the, mo- in the broadest sense our submission to governing authorities, and then he breaks it down a little bit, uh, to a little more close to home, and he talks about submitting uh, as servants to masters. And then he went on this beautiful um, little segue, speaking of Jesus, who is our example. Jesus, who, who not only has redeemed us, but has given an example to us that we might follow in his steps. That submission is what the Christian life looks like, and this is for everyone. And now he's going to talk even more um, intimately about what that looks like in the home because submission is a reality. It's to be a reality in our homes. But there's obviously another pastoral reason here, and that is that Paul is... uh, is aware that in the church of his day, there are, there are women, maybe many women, who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and their husbands are still uh, outside of the faith. And that raises a lot of questions, particularly in, in that day when a, a wife was expected to follow the religion of her husband, whatever it might be. It would be a bold statement. It would even seem disobedient and rebellious for a wife to say, I will not honor your gods. I will not go with you to the pagan temple. For a wife to take that kind of a stand in that day would so easily be seen as a rebellious stance. And and so there's a pastoral need here. Are wives still required to submit to an unbelieving husband? And if so, in what context? Does that submission even include the things of religion? And, And how should they evangelize their husbands? It's it's a given that they ought to evangelize. But how? How do they live in the tension of a home where you have this profound spiritual disunity? And so Peter is speaking to a very real situation, a situation that some uh, even in this congregation understand and know very well. This this evening I'd like to look first of all at the way of submission and then the witness of submission and finally the wardrobe of submission. The way of submission the witness of submission, and the wardrobe. The most important word in this first verse is, is probably the first word, likewise. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands. See, likewise means that we can't ever understand or appreciate the call that God gives to a, a Christian wife without seeing it in light of the person of Jesus Christ, the shadow of the cross, and the wonder of the gospel. Uh, it is so easy for us to, to interpret the word submission, to pack into that word the, uh, the meanings and the, the, uh, the general sense that the world puts into it. Submission in the world's eyes is a term of weakness. It's a term that means inferiority and servitude. Those who submit are lessers, the losers, the unfortunate, the less important. And tragically, that is far too often how the men in the church have thought of the term. I saw a little clip. I wouldn't possibly be able to tell you where to find it. Um, But I believe it's a commercial in India. Maybe you've seen it. Of a father who lives with his daughter and her husband, and, and he watches as his daughter comes home and immediately starts picking up 
toys and dealing with the crying baby and starting to make supper and bringing her husband uh, something, uh, a snack, and just go, 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 go. And, and this man looks at his son-in-law and he's sitting on the couch with his face glued to the television, absolutely oblivious to everything else that's going on in the home. And too often that is what Christian homes look like. Where a sister in Christ is frantically trying to keep things together and a husband thinks that's her place. That that's what submission means. But you see, likewise means that there's something else going on here altogether. The submission of a wife to her husband is a reflection, a picture in marital form of the relationship that Jesus Christ has with, with his father. This is a calling to imitate Jesus in his willing, glad submission to his father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, Paul writes, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Jesus took on a role of submission, though he was completely, eternally equal with God, and a wife is eternally, in whatever sense she's eternal, but from her beginning to and forever, she's equal with her husband in every way, equal in value, equal in the image of God, equal as a, a child of God, and yet there is a, a role that is given to a wife to submit herself to the headship of her husband. Just as Jesus uh, took the role and submitted himself to his Father's will. So his purpose in the world, as you watch Jesus live his life, his purpose is not to find himself, it's not to promote himself, it's not to serve himself, it's not to satisfy himself, it's to do the Father's will. The Father set the agenda uh, for Jesus' life, and Jesus desired this, you see, to glorify his Father's name. And in that submission, there was such mighty power in it. It is in that submission that he defeated the devil, that he destroyed death and hell and rescued all of God's elect. And so I just want you to see that in this term, instead of weakness, instead of inferiority, we need to pack in words like purpose and strength and beauty and vision and honor because that's what Christ's submission looks like. There was in his submission a fierce love that was stronger than death and a willing suffering for a, a purpose greater than his own life, the accomplishing of his father's will and purpose in salvation. Now, there, these things aren't identical, as we're going to see in a moment, but the flavor of the term, you see, should have the flavor that Jesus bestows upon it. And I think if, if we start to think of it that way, submission can seem like an appealing thing. Wouldn't all of us like our lives to be characterized by Christ with that sort of purpose and vision and fierceness of love? Well, Paul's, Peter says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, the world and the flesh and the devil are going to battle you ladies on this. The enemies of your soul are going to beg you uh, to give yourself to lesser things, 
to live for your desires, to pursue your own goals, to find your identity and joy in accomplishing other things, things that the world values, the things that the world applauds, things that the world promise will give you meaning and significance. In fact, uh, the world will think you've lost your mind if you let them know that you intentionally are doing this. Uh, I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg, and he says, you will get less flack at the local, local grocery store if you wear a Viking's head into the grocery store. Uh, you get less flack doing that than if you go into a grocery store with five or six children behind you. Yes, they're ours. Yes, we love them all. And, um, and as a wife, I love submitting to my husband. A people will, will move away. They'll take their children and, and make sure that they're safe. Because this is so completely contrary to the way the world thinks. Well, Jesus calls us to live like he did, ladies. And, and the actual truth is the more you act like Jesus, the crazier the world will think that you've become. This is countercultural to the core. If we want to live lives that shock people because it simply doesn't make sense, ladies, you have a unique opportunity as wives, a unique opportunity because the, the thing that God calls you to will look so profoundly strange in the eyes of the world. But I want you to, to, to sense the wonder of this. Could, could you get excited about loving Jesus enough to gladly embrace his pattern for your life? And could you get excited about being engaged in your husband's life in this way, to be a helper suitable to him? Could you be excited about helping him lead your family in the ways of God and helping him make your marriage to be about great things, about eternal things, not just your personal happiness, which is far too often what women try to make the marriage about. Do you sense that as you lean into your husband, as you lean into your home, do you sense how that delights the heart of your Father in heaven? Do you have any idea of, of how powerful, how precious that is to him and how powerful it is in the life of your husband? One of the best books that I've ever read on this is by Gary Thomas called Sacred Influence. Uh, I think this should be required reading for all uh, Husbands and wives, but particularly wives. I think this will save you years of frustration. Uh, the subtitle is How God Uses Wives to Shape the Souls of Their Husbands. I think women are, are, are unaware of the impact they have in the lives of their husband. They, they simply don't grasp the power of their godly submission in his life as, as they submit to the Lord first and then they, they seek to be a helper suitable to him and they seek to encourage and to, and to mold his soul, not change him into their image, but help him to be what God's called him to be. Uh, it's, it's just simply a fantastic book. This is one, we have two copies. This is one of them. Um, don't rush out before the sermon's over, but it, it's available on Amazon. I highly recommend it. It just sets a wonderful vision for you. But God calls you, ladies, to lean into your husband, to lean into your home, into the, 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 the purpose of willing submission to your husband. And, and if God grants you to give yourself as a mother to your children, there's a beauty here that the world knows nothing about. But let me just quickly give a word to the husbands. I won't take a long time on this because, Lord willing, we'll hit it, get into this next Sunday. But men, we need to give our wives then a purpose worth following, a cause that's worth living for. 
Your wife, men, does not exist to give you children, to make your meals, to do your laundry, and to serve your sexual desires at your bidding. It's not why she's there. It doesn't work like that. And if you treat her that way, you need to know you are abusing a daughter of the king. So give your life to something more significant than success. Be captivated by something more than sports. Give the dear woman something to follow. Give her something to support. Give her a vision for your marriage and your home that is worthy of her submission. There are so many women in the church who would love to follow their husbands, but he isn't going anywhere. No direction. He comes home and hits the couch and turns on the TV and and that's the last you see of him. And whatever passions and hobbies he has, it's, there's just nothing there that is, has weight, that has, that has value, that has significance, that, that a godly woman would, would, would feel satisfied in supporting and, 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 and encouraging. So men, take the lead. Take the lead as God calls your wife to follow it and to submit to you. There's a great power in the witness of submission. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of, your wives, of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Christian ethics, you see, is always about Jesus. So Peter says godly submission is about pointing people to Jesus. Now Peter's writing to all women here. That all women are to live with, with a respectful and pure conduct, and that's going to have a beneficial witness to all husbands. But notice he says, even if he's not a believer, that there, there is a, a power in the witness that, that even if, if your husband's not a believer, they may be won without a word by the conduct of the wives. So, so Peter has these ladies who are, Sisters in Christ, they've, they've, they've given their life to Jesus Christ. They're following him. They're in a, they're in a marriage with a husband, an unbeliever. And Peter says, listen, um, don't seek to evangelize by what you say. Let your evangelism be what they see. That when they see there's respect, when they see pure conduct, when they see a, a person that's been changed by the power of God. And, and notice that Peter doesn't promise anything here. He doesn't say that husbands will be converted by such a thing, but he's simply calling a wife to live in such a way that the gospel is clearly being proclaimed in what she uh, in how she lives. You see, glad, willing, strong, happy submission for Christ's sake even in a hard place, is so unnatural in this world, it's so inexplicable to this world, it has the power to break through the self-centered blindness of a lost man and introduce him to the possibility that he's missing something. It happens often. I was listening a while back to the testimony of Stephen Baldwin. He's the younger brother of the actor Alec Baldwin. I guess Stephen's an actor as well, but uh, Stephen was just a young man, partying, uh, uh, partying pagan, uh, married to an unbeliever as well. His, uh, his wife's name was Kenya, uh, living in a gorgeous home in Arizona and living the life. And uh, his wife, Kenya, was from Brazil, and so they hired a, uh, a lady from Brazil to be their housekeeper. And every day this lady would be singing in Portuguese these, these gospel songs. 
And um, Kenya, the story goes, was sort of drawn to just the joy in this lady's life and, and asked her about the songs that she was singing, and soon they were having conversations. And at one point, um, they, were, they were talking, and this lady um, just started laughing. And uh, Kenya says, why are you laughing? And, and the lady says, I'm so sorry, but I'm laughing because you think the main reason I'm here is to clean your house. And Kenya said, well, isn't that the main reason you're here? <laughs> and she said, no, the main, reason I'm here, I, the main reason I'm here is to tell you about Jesus. And so they had those conversations, and Kenya came to faith in the Lord Jesus. And this is what Stephen says, God allowed for a couple of sequences of events that led my wife to faith, and then in my observing my wife's walk, it instilled a cerebral curiosity because we'd already been together 10 years. He knew this lady. He knew what she was like. And now suddenly she wasn't like that anymore. Kenya started attending a, a church and praying and reading the Bible twice a day. And he noticed a change in her that he found inspiring. He says she became more gentle. She became less judgmental. She just changed. He became increasingly curious about her experience, and then 9-11 happened, and that was enough to sort of shock him into there are um, significant things happening in the world, and, and death could come quickly, and a month later, he confessed faith and has not looked back since. Ladies, there is a power, and maybe your husband is a believer. He still needs to see the gospel. I, I can absolutely say that no one has shown me the, the, the truth of the grace of God more than my wife. And I think every Christian husband would testify to the same. Ladies, God calls you to be a witness in your submission, your glad submission to the truth about a Savior who submitted himself for the good of others. Thirdly, the wardrobe of submission. There's so much good stuff here. Peter talks about the beauty of submission. Don't let your adorning be external. Braiding of hair, putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. Now, he's not denouncing a practice, but he's enunciating a principle. In other words, we don't have here some uh, new rules in the church outlawing braided hair and gold jewelry. So if you're here this evening and your hair is braided, you don't need to uh, start gently letting it loose. That's not the point. <clears throat> uh, that's clear because, you see, if, if that were the rule, don't wear gold jewelry, we could just all go to silver and we'd be fine, right? We'd be, we'd be keeping... We'd be keeping the law. But what he's doing is he's, he's saying your, your, your mind and heart should be focused. When you think about adorning yourself, focused on the internal beauty, not the external beauty. So you've got a similar way of talking in John 6, 27. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. So is Jesus saying that we should not work? Don't work for the food that perishes? No, he says, don't make that your primary goal. When you think about food and the food that you most deeply desire, make it the eternal food, not the food that perishes. Well, same principle here. When you think about beauty, don't make external beauty the beauty that you most eagerly pursue. Now, again, this is remarkably different from the world in which we live. Right? The world believes that a woman's physical appearance is her primary attribute, her primary characteristic. It is how she is to be evaluated. The world's convinced of this. 
And so there are thousands of women's magazines and tens of thousands of women's products all to help a lady adorn her external self. Now, ladies, again, Peter's not saying no more makeup, right? No more adorning. God's not opposed to feminine beauty. God created feminine beauty. But he wants to define the beauty that matters the most. And so uh, external beauty is not the beauty that matters the most. In fact, external beauty is, is it's perishing, and it's only as good as the person who wears it. There's a, a great proverb, 11.22, a beautiful woman without discretion is like a gold ring in a pig's snout. In other words, the beauty, like the gold ring, is very attractive, but right behind it is something that's unclean and has bad breath. Right? Here's this beautiful ring, love that beautiful ring, and then you notice it's in a pig's snout. Young men, just to let you know, there's a lot of gold rings out there. Beautiful women who utterly lack discretion. And that's not to demean them, it's just to state what's true. And the world just wants you to look at the gold ring, look at the gold ring, look at the beauty, look at the beauty. God says, no, no, look at the heart. <clears throat> Focus your attention and devotion to the internal beauty. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Very precious. That beauty, as Peter shows us, is imperishable. I think that's great news. Ladies, you know your physical beauty is fleeting. It is perishing. I so often, um, when I see ladies in the nursing home, and uh, think how sad it is to be, if you're evaluated by your appearance in this world, and uh, now you're 80 years old, and your appearance is simply not even remotely what it once was, where's your value then? I think one of the saddest things we see in our culture is older women desperately trying to look like they're 25 and pursuing any possible thing that's offered to them to that end. They bought a lie. Peter says, pursue the beauty that's imperishable, the beauty that grows with age for those who are in Christ. And that beauty is the beauty then of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, this is not a wallflower. This is not a melancholy personality, right? Peter's not talking about a preferred personality trait. He's talking about a person's spirit. Her personality might be wild and crazy, and you might love that, but her spirit is to be quiet and gentle. There's a tenderness there. There's a rest there, a quietness in her spirit. She's not flying around seeking her own life. She's not... She's not desperately seeking her identity and, or, or trying to calm her troubled spirit with, with, uh, with, with whatever might be available, right? uh, parties, hobbies, shopping, gossip between friends, a, a career that that's her identity. Her spirit is marked by a quiet beauty, a restful confidence. She knows who she is. She's at rest with her calling. She's at peace with it. That, that sort of lady is a fountain of life, a fountain of grace, a fountain of peace and joy in a home, in the church, and in the world. And this is a beauty, Peter says, that is very precious to God. 
I don't know, I haven't, I haven't researched, but I don't know of any other place where we find something that's called very precious to God. Very precious. He, he loves this beauty. He loves this, this holy submission. And man, I, I just, as I was thinking about this, if, if we would have a sense of how precious and beautiful that our wives' submission is in the sight of God, if we would have a sense of how highly he esteems and values and delights and treasures in the willingness of your wife this precious daughter purchased with the blood of Christ, when, when he sees her willingly submit to you in the bonds of marriage, if you have any sense of how highly he values that, you would, tr- you would tremble to take advantage of it to your own selfish ends. You see, Peter and every other biblical writer sees submission is something precious, with a marvelous goal, with a magnificent purpose in the eyes of God. And that goal, that end, is not the satisfaction of a husband, but the magnifying of the glory of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the submission of a wife has a beauty, has a value that far transcends whatever benefits it might have for her husband. He is the context of her submission. He is not the point of it. She does not exist for him. She exists for God. And men, we dare not then take what God has created for his own glory and use it to our own ends. We dare not take something that is so precious in the eyes of God and is so perfectly suited to manifest the glory of our submissive Savior. We dare not abuse it by making her calling an excuse for our selfish purposes. There are some things that are so sacred, so holy, so precious to God that you don't mess with it, and this is one of them. And men, we have to hear it. We've sinned against our wives. I've sinned against mine. We sin against our wives by assuming that their submission is about us, their submission is for us. It's twisted, it's sick, it's wrong, it dishonors God. I fear that there will be many devastated husbands in hell, men who professed to be Christian, and yet their attitude and their behavior towards their wives and their abuse of her holy calling showed that they never understood the gospel at all. God cares about how you treat your wife. We're going to see that next Sunday. It matters to him. Ladies, how do we gain this beauty? Well, the secret of beautiful submission is to hope in God. You see that in verse 5. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their husband. You can fly right over that phrase, hope in God, and yet that's exactly what uh, the secret is. See, I think that being a submissive wife has to be one of the scariest things a person can do. And that's not my opinion alone. I think Peter thinks the same thing. He closes this verse, do not fear anything that is frightening. It's a frightening thing to hitch the car of your life, the rest of your life, to the engine of a 20-something young man. I promise you, he has no idea where this thing is going. (laughs) 
The only reason brides don't panic more often is that they vastly have vastly more confidence in their groom than he deserves. They do not understand how unstable he actually is, and they sign on to be his helper with little understanding how desperately he actually needs it. But Sarah understands. Remember Sarah, the wife of Abram? Peter speaks of her as Sarah obeyed Abram, calling him her Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Have you ever thought about all the opportunities that Abram gave to Sarah for fear? Can you imagine being married to this man? They're living their life in the nice town of Ur, right down the road from the folks, and Abram comes home one day and he says, Honey, we're moving far away and we won't ever come back. And she says, well, where are we going? He says, I have no idea. The Lord just said, go. He'll show us when we get there. That would be frightening. And then on their way, they come to uh, Egypt, and Abram has a panic attack because Sarah is very beautiful. And so he pawns her off as his sister, and she ends up in Pharaoh's household being courted by Pharaoh. That would be frightening. And then it happens again when they come across Abimelech years later. Twice, twice. He, in fear, hides behind this lie and lets her enter into the danger of being brought into a king's house and, and ready for his harem. It's an awful thing. It's a terrifying thing. Men, we often don't... We don't get how we can f abuse our wife's calling. I, I think I've told you this story before, but we were, we were newly married probably three years, living out in California, going to seminary. A nice little place there, and uh, one, of the, one, um, uh, one weekend there was a student visiting seminary. His name was Art, and Art, uh, the seminary asked if we'd put Art up for the night, and so we had, we had an extra bedroom, so, so we put an air mattress down and... and uh, everything was fine. About two in the morning, Art begins screaming with blood-curdling screams. Help. Help. Just screaming. Help, help. Well, um, you wake up, and um, the first thing that comes to mind is somebody's got Art. And uh, so now what do you do? Well, I remembered in the fuzziness of my mind that I was the head of the home, and so I said, Honey, would you go see what happened to Art? <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Thankfully, Art um, said, uh, sorry, did I wake you up? I have nightmares sometimes. <laughs> Thanks, Art. Sarah knew what fear was like living with Abram. She bore the fear of barrenness. An awful hard thing to bear in those days, particularly when your calling, your, your, your joy, your, your purpose was to give children, particularly sons, to your husband. And for all those years, she had no child. She was a failure in that way. And that fear is only heightened by the fact that she gives Hagar, her servant, to Abraham, maybe in a moment of panic, thinking that Mrs somewhat elevates her and then Hagar has a child and, and Hagar and the child both begin to despise her. It, it's awful. And then finally God does give them a child, this beautiful little child named Isaac. Laughter they called him. 
And one day, Abraham tells her that the Lord has called her to sacrifice their son, Isaac, on a mountain, and off they go. As a mom, you don't think you'd be frightened? And so Peter knows what he's talking about when he references Sarah. Ladies, your husband has undoubtedly given you occasions for fear. But Sarah lived through all that and much more. And Peter says, be her daughters, don't give in to the fear. Don't give in to the fear. How? How do you not give in to your, into the fear? When you see your husband make foolish choices, when you see your husband not growing as, as you think he ought to grow, when you see him uh, wandering off on some path that, is, that is, you know is not going to have good effect, when you see him neglecting to, to parent your children the way that you know they need to be parented, when you just see there's foolishness there, there's, there's, there's spiritual blindness there, there's spiritual apathy there, how do you not fear in those moments? Peter says, put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Get your mind around the fact that you are not, first of all, your husband's wife. You are, first of all, the precious child of your heavenly father. And he has not put you there and left you there as a helpless victim of whatever your husband might be doing. You are safe in the hands of your sovereign God. And he is able and he is sufficient to keep you safe. Remember, Peter's just talked about that you've returned, if you are a Christian, to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. And so Christian ladies, you have a place to go. You have a refuge. You have a shelter. But you need to put your hope in God. You need to exercise your faith. There are many weary young mothers and disquieted wives too often having put their hopes in their husband, put their hopes in a, in a, in a great marriage, in a family, and those things aren't turning out as they meant, as, as they intended. And, and yet, you see, those things were never meant to be your hope. Your husband was not meant to be your hope. God is your hope. Put your hope in him. Get firmly fixed in your mind that your marriage, however blessed or difficult it might be, it was never, ever meant to be your life. God is. God is. Ladies, that will give you strength. When you have it fixed in your mind that solid joys and lasting treasures are not going to be found here, regardless of the circumstances of your marriage, that these things are kept for you by God in the city of God, and one day they will be yours. And the sovereign God who loved you and knew you before you were born, the one who gave his very own son for you, that sovereign God is ordaining all the details of your life for your fullest eternal joy, even this trying circumstance you might find yourself in. But you must hope in him. You must hope in him. And it's possible that God is allowing these troubling circumstances in your marriage, these troubling circumstances in your home, for the simple reason he wants to get you off your idolatry of, of marriage and family, and he wants you to rest in him. It's very possible. Ladies, put your hope in God. That's where the beauty comes from. There's nothing more convicting to a man who knows that he's really not doing the job that he's supposed to do when he sees his wife singing, when he sees her praying, when he sees her resting in the Lord. We need, ladies, we need you to be strong in him. We need you to know your purpose. Your purpose is not, first of all, to make your husband look good. You exist, first, and all, first of all, to make Jesus look good. And the more you focus on that, and the more you rest in the care of your shepherd, the more you entrust yourself to the guardian of your soul, the more the beauty will shine through.
And you'll be able to love your husband. You'll be able to minister to your children if God grants it to you. You'll be able to honor your Savior with beautiful gospel submission. Ladies, that's the call. It's a beautiful call. Men, I charge you to praise God for your wife. Praise God for her submissiveness. Give her help in this. Have you ever just thought how hard it must be to be married to you? I'm serious. It is not a joyride. Do you just have you ever thanked her for that? Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for hanging in there. Thank you for trusting in the Lord. Thank you. Men, they need to hear it from you. God thinks this is awesome. And if you have the heart of God, you will think the same. And you'll let her know it. May God grant it. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, I thank you that you speak to where we live. I thank you so much for our Christian sisters. What an amazing thing that they are willing to submit to men like us in their marriages. Forgive us, Lord, for the ways that we as men sin against our wives. And Lord, forgive us as ladies for the ways that we sin against our husbands by not putting our hope in God, by not trusting in you, by not being willing to embrace this calling that you've given to us. I pray, Lord God, that you would give a spirit of deep repentance to all of us. And I pray, Lord, that in our marriages we would find a great joy in following Jesus Christ as we serve each other, as a wife submits, as a husband loves, I pray that our homes will be places of peace, that our children and our communities could see the gospel at work as we lay down our rights, our desires, as we receive each other as a gift we don't deserve. Oh God in heaven, I, I pray that you would press these words upon our heart, that we would be followers of Jesus in these things. I give you the praise. Amen.